Welcome back to a brand new episode of Tips with Salsa. Talk tips and tales from the nonprofit community. I'm Craig Grella, Salsa's content marketer, and on this episode of the podcast, we sit down with CGC Giving to discuss nonprofit events and fundraising. Their CEO, Chris, and their director of development, Brittany, shared with us a few really cool topics that will be of interest to nonprofits of all sizes, and I'm really excited for you all to hear it. In particular, we discussed a return to in-person events, we discussed hybrid events, uh, hybrid online events, and we also discussed peer-to-peer events in great detail, specifically how nonprofits can plan a P2P event, create fundraising goals, build educational toolkits that can be used to promote P2P events, and also how to train volunteers to increase engagement and fundraising during those P2P events. It's an action-packed podcast with some really helpful tips, really practical tips. And I know the Salsa audience is going to enjoy it. So let's give it a listen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our next episode of Tips with Salsa. We are here today with CGC. It's a consulting firm. It focuses on strategic planning and implementation for nonprofit organizations and corporations. We're joined by CEO Chris Hammond and Director of Nonprofit Development, Brittany Legenke. Welcome. Hey. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. Cool. Thank you. Um, maybe uh, you guys can give us a quick intro, a quick bio, so that you can let uh, the Salsa listeners uh, understand who you are and what you guys do. How about that? Uh, okay, I'll start off. Um, my name is Chris Hammond. I am the founder and CEO of uh, CGC, and uh, we just love what we do. We love serving the nonprofit community, and we love helping and advising strategy and day-to-day execution for our clients, and we are thankful to do what we do and thankful to be here today. And I am Brittany Legenke. I'm the Director of Nonprofit Development, and like Chris said, we're, we're excited to be here today. I think a lot of our clients, a lot of our um, nonprofit friends are, are always having to wear so many different hats in their roles and take on just so many different responsibilities at, at our workplaces. And so what we really focus on with our company is, is alleviating some of that burden and taking some of those things off of people's plates so that they're working smarter and not harder. So that's, that's what we're all about. So we're excited to be here. Work smarter, not harder. Love it. That should be our our secondary uh, mantra, if you will. We do this podcast as we call it Tips with Salsa. And it's not necessarily a how-to podcast because that's pretty hard to do in a podcast. But we do like to give out tips and tricks, uh, if you will. Uh, And most of the people we've had on have have had some pretty interesting uh, stories to share. And uh, if they're not a nonprofit directly, we've we've brought on some people to talk about uh, all different topics and how-tos and things like that. And we've been speaking, the three of us, about coming on and uh, or having you on the podcast and, and discussing a few things with us. So we're really happy to have you. And it's kind of a interesting time. Um, it seems that the world is opening back up again. People are starting to get back out there, go back to restaurants and back to sports and things like that. And I'm curious uh, from what you see from your end, are, are the nonprofits that you work with, are they starting to uh, get active again in the event space? What are you seeing out there? 
Yeah, we've seen, um, we actually, one of our recent clients does a, an annual run walk. And so last year the, the event was completely canceled and this year they did a hybrid uh, model. So they had some people were who wanted to attend in person did that. And then they also had the event live streamed. So people who weren't comfortable attending in person could do that. So I think right now we're seeing a lot of hybrid events and I'm, I'm expecting that um, when, if, if restrictions continue to loosen or tighten, we'll, we'll see which way that, that gets pushed for the fall. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and one thing that I would say is what was really awesome to see during the pandemic is how resilient so many of these nonprofit organizations were. So I would never say that they lost being active because they were quite active throughout, um, but it just there was one there was one type of event that was actually taking place and it was the virtual um, type of event space. And I think what made it really interesting is for a lot of these events we saw um, actual attendance skyrocketed, right? Because there was no excuse why somebody could not attend. So you were having international attendees, people from out of state, um, and, and all of these individuals were looking for something to do. So they were happy to tune in. And so one of the biggest things that we've been talking about with some of our clients, because they're saying, should we make this something that's in person? Should we make this you know, hybrid? Should we keep this virtual? We've looked at this and said hybrid is an exciting opportunity because we don't want um, to alienate those people that were tuning in from afar. So there is that nice opportunity to have that virtual attendee while still having the excitement and the energy of being in person. Yeah, we saw that a little bit too. And it's funny you say because we look at things like MR Benchmarks, a great company, and they put out these really interesting benchmarks about nonprofit fundraising every year. And uh, other companies will go into things like email metrics. And we saw almost across the board, almost every uh, type of industry inside the nonprofit space experienced increased giving. Uh, and people were willing to kind of reach into their pockets, understanding that some organizations were going to have it really tough during the pandemic, and they, they gave more and they participated more. And it's funny what you say about uh, the hybrid events and how, you know, I, I saw it uh, presenting at Enten's conference this year, which was completely virtual, uh, which was interesting too. Um, but maybe chat more about, you mentioned, Brittany, uh, your the nonprofits that you work with who decided to do hybrid events, presumably you mentioned uh, they were doing walkathons before and then now, hey, let's try to figure out this hybrid model. Um, did you have conversations with nonprofits that maybe didn't do events before for whatever reason? Maybe they were too big or too expensive or they just didn't have the knowledge of how to do them who kind of dipped their toe in the water with online events? Um, I, I think some nonprofits definitely um, were, were trying out some different tactics like that. I think some, some of the virtual events were a little more accessible for people that don't have that huge budget to rent out a huge event space and have catering and staffing and all that type of thing. So it, it, it did provide a unique opportunity for people who wanted to, to bring their supporters together and have that sort of activation where people could connect and meet each other, but didn't necessarily have to have that huge um, overhead budget for a standard event. And, and, and one thing I'll add to that is I, I do think when people tried these virtual event concepts, 
they got pretty creative with how they were how they were doing this. Um, we had a client that put together um, an online, you know, a virtual gala, and they still her um, the executive director and their two different hosts. They still went to an actual event stage. And they live streamed the event. And so, yes, we were doing all this through Zoom and communicating with everyone through Zoom. But they did the live auction. Um, they did the full program. And it was really awesome because you still, like, the people that were hosting it had, you know, they were blowing smoke. And there was, like, all kinds of crazy things that were going on. And I, I found myself actually quite surprised that I was getting moved by something still virtually. So it wasn't just two talking heads on a Zoom call. It no. was a little bit of the, the entertainment of the normal event, but kind of streamed live. They had a full event program and they had, yeah, they, they really brought a, a, a fun, exciting energy and their fundraising really, um, really, really just kind of skyrocketed based off of the energy that they were seeing. So we, we definitely thought that that was unique to see. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about this in a second, but I think more than anything, what we saw was that people that might've had an event that was either forced to go virtual or went, uh, or, you know, actually got canceled. We saw people really pivoting to peer to peer fundraising. And that was, that was something that we really saw that was, was an opportunity that presented itself in a lot of nonprofit organizations that typically wouldn't have been interested in a fully digital campaign. Um, we really saw them being open to trying that out and being um, willing to try something different, especially when they had always been, um, you know, focusing on an event year over year. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because one of the things that uh, is interesting to me is understanding as an organization the right time to kind of make that transition uh, or, or the moment where an organization understands maybe we have the resources for this. I mean, maybe you can talk a little bit about in your experience, how does a nonprofit know the right time to start a peer to peer event? What are, what are some of the things that they maybe want to have in place or think about uh, from a strategic standpoint? Uh, in terms of planning a peer-to-peer -peer event uh, or thinking, hey, maybe we can jump into this, this type of event. It might be right for us at a, at a specific time, if that makes sense. Yeah, one of, the, one of the biggest things that we always talk about with any of our clients who's interested in, in doing a peer-to-peer -peer event is just making sure that they have fundraisers in place, making sure that they have an active base of people that they're able to recruit um, to be ambassadors of that campaign, because really, when you're doing a peer-to-peer -peer campaign, it's a little different than that crowdfunding method where you're sending out a, a, a broad message and everybody's donating to the same place. In peer-to-peer, -peer, you're really empowering these fundraisers to be ambassadors on your behalf for your organization. So you're really relying on their networks their friends, family members, colleagues, you're relying on them to get that message out for you. So the biggest thing that, that we try to emphasize before um, our clients launch into one of these campaigns is 
do you have that dedicated group of fundraisers at your disposal that you can call on? Because that's that's those are really the people that are driving your success here. And so we know that peer-to-peer events happen all shapes and sizes. There are huge ones and smaller ones. Is there a, when you mention having that support base, is there a number of supporters that a nonprofit would want to have before doing a peer-to-peer event? Or is there a number below which you would say, hey, you know, look, you only have 100 supporters. It's probably not going to be the thing for you. Yeah. So I would say to that, not necessarily, right? I think it really comes down to asking yourself some clear questions of what is the goal we're looking to raise? Um, Because I think that so often um, what we love about peer-to-peer fundraising is the sheer fact that you can um, have a, there's a formula that you can have a pretty clear understanding of, okay, if I have 50 fundraisers and I think that they're all going to have a fundraising goal of $1,000. Yeah, some are going to exceed that. Yeah, some of them are not going to exceed that. Um, and they're actually going to go below it. And some are just not going to fundraise at all. Well, if you're putting together a fundraising goal of $50,000, that seems that seems reasonable, right? That seems like that's something that can make sense. But sometimes we'll have clients that will then say, hey, I have 10 fundraisers and I have a goal of $100,000. And for us, we think it's really important. Two of the biggest things that we think about is, A, how how involved and what type of clear expectations do your fundraisers have? Are you providing them with the tools that they need to be successful? Because one of the biggest things that we see is a challenge for a lot of nonprofit organizations is they don't provide the toolkit uh, to their fundraisers. And a lot of times... Their fundraisers are just having to, you know, try to come up with messaging that they think will be relevant to their friends, family, and colleagues. So I think first and foremost is, A, do you have the toolkit to make sure that your fundraisers have a clear guide to be successful? And then B, do they have clear expectations on what you would like for them to do? Do they know what their fundraising goal is? Did they agree to their fundraising goal? Do they think that they can exceed it? Um, Because if they they actually have that initial buy-in, it really does make a big difference uh, for them, and it really helps them be as successful as possible. And the one other thing that I'll add to it um, is it's about time, right? So what we see all too often is when somebody is putting together a peer-to-peer fundraising campaign, A lot of times they're not giving their fundraisers enough uh, lead time to even get prepared. They're, you know, pivoting, providing templates while the campaign is actually taking place. So we think it's really important to really spend that time to cultivate and recruit these fundraisers so that they at least have a little bit of lead time so that you're able to train them up so that once it is ready for the campaign to start, that they can hit the ground running. I would also just say with your your original question about number of fundraisers, you just have to be realistic and, and also be a little bit creative and, and open-minded with who your fundraisers are. So we've had clients in the past who have had a much smaller group of fundraisers. Maybe they're utilizing advisory board members or fundraising committee members, and all of those individuals are able to um, bring in a lot of really 
high-level donations. So maybe they're getting $1,000, $2,500, $5,000 donations. And so you can have that smaller group of fundraisers. And then we've had other clients who don't necessarily have, you know, the people in their networks that can write huge checks, but maybe they can send a message out and get a ton of $20, $50 donations that all add up. So some organizations see success using um, a, a pool of young professionals, or we've even seen, we've seen high school kids be really successful peer-to-peer -peer fundraisers. It's really just all about, like Chris said, giving them those tools and empowering them, whichever level they're at. Yeah, it's funny. I, there, there was so much that you both mentioned there. I want to try to unpack a little bit of it, but I was thinking, Brittany, when you were just mentioning high schoolers, I remember working on a campaign. Um, it was actually a, an advocacy campaign, and we did have a couple high schoolers who showed up, and they were so passionate, uh, and they just wanted to help. And I remember them setting up, uh, it was a voter registration thing, and their school didn't allow them to be partisan. Uh, so they had to be able to register everyone, but they literally registered. It was something like every student who was 17 and turning 18, they registered something like 90% of the student body in their high school that had made that transition just to 18. So, And we would not have thought to involve them. It just wasn't part of what we were doing, but they, they saw the message, came out, and they ended up being a really big part of the campaign. And we would have lost a lot had we not included those high schoolers. It was It was kind of really cool to see. Yeah, young young people are passionate. Yeah. That's it's it's awesome when you can activate them like that. And I mean, and, and one thing to just add to that is, who can say no to a you know a an upstarted, energetic high schooler that's trying to fundraise, right? Like that that if they're taking the initiative to you know really focus on this and try to hit a goal, um, there's a reason why you know growing up, you know everybody had like their their you know, candy bar sales or their, your, their uh, magazine sales or something of that nature. It's no different, right? And, and one of the biggest things that, that Brittany and I talk about all the time when it comes to peer-to-peer -peer fundraising is people, people give to people, right? It, there are so many worthwhile nonprofit organizations out there. Um, and sometimes it can get lost in the noise, right? Because you're like, you know, everybody's doing something great for the world. And, and sometimes it makes all the difference uh, to, to, to know the person at that, that is asking you and saying, hey, you know what? If John really enjoys this organization and it's made an impact on their life, that's good enough for me. I don't want to have to look around and try to figure out what's the best organization to give back to. I know that there is a personal anecdote that it has made an impact on John's life. So that's something that we always try to say as well. One of the other things you mentioned, which I'd, I'd love to chat more about, was the education side of the peer-to-peer -peer event. And so you, you go through creating a goal and understanding what that goal is. And then part of what you mentioned was creating a toolkit. And uh, maybe you could talk more about what you like to see nonprofits put in a toolkit. My, my idea of this was always... One of the things, uh, I guess, a pet peeve of, of mine when I see a peer-to-peer -peer campaign is, uh, and you mentioned the time thing, which I think is very true, because so many times nonprofits just, they take so much work just to plan the peer-to-peer -peer campaign that it's like, okay, let's launch it tomorrow and we'll it'll be done in a week or two, right? And that's not good enough. But the other thing 
that I see them missing out on most often is the education, right? They think, let's do a landing page, and then everyone's going to instantly know what we're looking for, and they're just going to get a million friends, and, you know, we're going to raise a billion dollars, and it's going to be great, but that's not the way it goes. People get confused. Fundraisers don't know exactly what they need to do, so if they don't understand what they need to do, they don't share, they don't recruit people. Maybe talk a little bit about what what you like to see or what you counsel the organizations you work with in, in terms of that toolkit and how they provide that training and understanding to their fundraisers. Yeah. So all, all started off. And then I think, you know, Brittany has like a very key thing that she does with a lot of our, with a lot of our clients. Um, so, you know, for, for all of our nonprofit organizations that we work with, um, we provide a, a few different elements in the, the toolkit. We first, provide some just best practices, right? So that, you know, the fundraisers and the organization have just a clear idea of what are the best practices of recruitment? What are the best practices of marketing this campaign? What should you do after you've acquired the donors from this particular campaign? And, and what peer-to-peer is. Yeah, Not yeah, 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 yeah. Even knows what it yeah, is. Yeah, so, so these are all really important pieces on, on creating that foundation. And then from there, we're, when we're building out the messaging for the overarching campaign, we want to build messaging that can be easily replicatable for the fundraisers to be able to share with their network. Uh, we want it to be short, we want it to be concise, and we typically put together um, three different emails where they can be just sending this out to their network where it really is just fill in the blank. And, and one of the biggest value propositions that we say all the time is this is not about, you know, giving money right now. Like spend 10 to 15 minutes of your week just to press send on this email to your friends, family, and colleagues. And then we put together some shareable images so that people can put this on their social media and drive people back to their fundraising pages. Um, and so we, we build this full toolkit so that it is, A, they have a very clear understanding of what is expected of them, but B, we make this very easy for them and we really want this to be mindful of their time. And then one of the, one of the final activations that we do is something that Brittany works on for a lot of um, the fundraisers before they, we kind of let them go. Yeah, so we like to host what we call a fundraiser kickoff call before the campaign starts. So anybody who's able to join, um, and and we always record it for anybody who isn't, but anybody who wants to join, and if they've never done peer-to-peer before, it's a great, just like we said, overview of how that whole process works. And then we demonstrate how to use each and every one of those tools that we provide with this fundraiser kit. So how to use the emails, how to use the social media posts, how to you know make sure to copy and paste your your campaign your personal campaign page and include that link um, with everything that you're sending out so we always do that um, a lot of a lot of people are very accustomed to peer-to-peer so they don't necessarily need that but but some people really do and then what I like to do also is just record a quick you know, 30 to 90 second video showing everybody how to copy and paste, how to, how to register themselves and create their own uh, fundraising page and send that out to people as well, just so that 
nobody should be able to say that they didn't know what they were doing during this campaign. That's that's what we want to. That's the place we want to be. I, I think it's so smart doing those conference calls and keeping it really relational because at the heart of it, that's what a peer-to-peer campaign is. It's it's this relational campaign, fundraising or otherwise, between your supporters, their friends, their families. I think, in my experience, people learn a lot faster that way when you present the process and the education, especially through video. I think that's great. I think those are great recommendations. Um, one of the things that you mentioned before when, when we were talking about um, uh, trying to get the fundraisers and then just actually now too, Brittany, when, when you mentioned some of the education, what are some of the ways you've seen nonprofits be successful actually recruiting the fundraisers to help them? Is there a, a method? I mean, we all think, uh, hey, send out a couple emails or you know, put out some social messages. Is there, is there a method that you've seen that works really well in terms of recruiting? And I know you mentioned, hey, you, you should have a, a good base of supporters. And Chris mentioned sending a couple template emails out to kind of rally those supporters. But are there some other ways or some creative ways that you've seen uh, nonprofits be successful with recruiting that first wave to, to get them into that training program? Yeah, I, th- I think it comes back to that that element of, of creativity and being open to, to trying different methods. So I gave the, the one example of an organization that had this young professionals group and they were looking for a way to engage them. So that was a, a, a perfect task for them was to, to get involved with this campaign. We've seen people use um, advisory board members and, and ask their advisory board members to, to bring people on to get involved. Um, volunteers are great. These are people that, that are already um, super accustomed to your mission. They're passionate about the organization and the programs. We've done uh, campaigns for schools before, so we've had parents get involved and alumni, people like that. Um, and I think a lot of organizations are, are used to having kind of those, um, I, I know in the, the nonprofits that I've worked for in the past, you have that kind of catch-all informational uh, email address that people will email and say, hey, love the organization, want to get involved. And we don't always have, you know, an event coming up or something specific to hand to them that say, here's what you can do. So th- that this is something great that you could offer for these people as well. Hey, if you love the organization, we're actually, we have this campaign coming up. We'd love for you to share it, you know, and, and help us raise some money for this, this initiative that, that we're trying to open up or, or fund. So just, I think it, I think it just comes down to, to being creative and to getting the message out there as, as far and wide as possible. So like pretty much any other facet of the nonprofit fundraising world, there is no magic bullet. There's no, <laughs> there's no yeah, one trick. Yeah, I, wish, I wish that we could, you know, give, give the, the, the perfect recipe for exactly who you need, but it, it all, all organizations are, are so different. We've also seen, um, we actually are working with an organization right now that is really focusing on having some of their corporate partners get involved with fundraising. So some companies will, in, in order to, to get their employees involved, will maybe different departments can, you know, be form fundraising teams and compete against each other, um, things like that. So it, it really is just that creativity. No, I think that's, that's a really great tip because it, highlights a little bit of research that needs to be done that every nonprofit should do to understand their audience, who they are, where they're coming from, what motivates them. And I think that helps them understand not only how to 
talk to their audience, but maybe how to coach their audience on how to talk to other potential supporters. And, and maybe the creativity comes in uh, by thinking about that and understanding the best way to get people to do that. I, I, I think that's great. What's one of the things or several of the things that you both see in terms of nonprofits making mistakes, if, if there's a mistake that nonprofits make when they do peer-to-peer campaigns or fundraising in general, what are some of the common mistakes that, that you see uh, that nonprofits should try to avoid if possible? Um, I, think it, it, I think it goes back to some of the elements that I had talked about um, a little bit earlier, and I think it just really comes down to sometimes people want to rush a campaign, right? They've, they've fallen in love with the date that they're doing it rather than making sure that they develop the infrastructure in place um, to actually run it successfully. And so a lot of times we see people just kind of do a campaign willy-nilly without really much thought behind it. Um, And then they end up blaming the platform when it's not a successful campaign. So we think it's really important that, uh, that the organization is taking the time, A, to build a campaign theme. What is this campaign about? Um, and, and making sure that they're having um, the messaging and the content that is actually uh, feeding into that campaign theme. But then B, making sure that they have focused on recruitment and that they have a clear understanding of who is actually going to be participating in this campaign. Uh, because we do feel that a lot of times People are kind of like, we kind of think we're going to have 10 people, and then they think we might have 15, and then there's five, right? Like, it is one of those things that if you don't have a clear understanding of who's going to be participating in this, um, there's, there's, it's going to leave room for people to slip through the cracks. And then that final piece is, is so often people are not building out any sort of templates, any sort of messaging, um, any sort of content to give to the fundraisers. And they just kind of put these fundraisers on an island. I think it's really important for everyone to think, yes, take the time to it's it's this is like a this is like a two-phase approach. You're building the infrastructure, you're building all elements of this, and then once you're pressing play, you're now serving as a coach and making sure that your fundraisers still have the resources that they need and that you're providing them with whatever they need to be successful. Because at the end of the day, this is not their full-time job. And so you have to be providing them with the tools and the coaching um, and any sort of resources possible to make sure that they're getting, you're getting the most out of their effort um, and that you're maximizing the impact as much as possible. Yeah, it's funny. The ones that I have seen be really successful do just that. They, they don't just throw up a page and say, hey, help us out and expect that a million people will sign up to fundraise or join a team. It, it, it's those organizations that create the content. And it's funny, you, uh, you recently, Brittany, you recently wrote um, a really great blog post, which we posted on the Salsa blog, which was about content for peer-to-peer campaigns and all the different types of content. So we'll, we'll put that uh, in the link somewhere when we eventually uh you know, post this podcast here up on the site, but uh, I I recommend people check that out. It comes with a great checklist that that we put together uh, that follow your your recommendations for different types of content, from social media to email to actual letters, uh, sending out direct mail letters to some of the supporters who may not get that message in 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 a different way. So it's really smart to cover all those different uh, points of contact uh, as well. 
Um, <clears throat> great. Well, uh, earlier we talked a little bit about some of the work that you do on the peer-to-peer -peer side. You also do a little bit of work in terms of development. We talked about landing pages, things like that. Are there some creative ways that, that you've seen um, peer-to-peer events or just nonprofit fundraising? I mean, uh, how that's been executed, either software, on websites, things like that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think more than anything, um, you know, when you're when you're building out first and foremost, if you're building your landing page out, we think that so often a lot of nonprofit organizations want to put so much information on their uh, on their landing pages. And so any time that you can, you know, keep it clear, concise and to the point um, and you can also um, you know, show any sort of opportunity for video or strong imagery um, can be a part of the campaign and really keep it clean and easy for people to navigate. We think that makes um, that makes a big deal. Uh, but no, we I mean we've we've seen a lot of very interesting campaigns. Um, anytime that you can, it can be driven by strong video or strong imagery. I think it, it really does help. One one that I I often talk about that I thought was an interesting campaign concept um, that they did. And this is more the marketing of it, but it was uh, the Greater West Hollywood Food Consortium. Um, they This was an organization that had a professional photographer as one of their supporters. So he was just donating his time. And they were an organization that was focused on, um, you know, feeding the homeless community. And they thought that there was so often a stigma for, for people just, you know, not wanting to support um, people that have been unhoused. And what they thought was interesting is they took this celebrity photographer and he's taking these, um, these head-on portraits of all the different people that are actually being supported by the organization. And what they wanted to do for this campaign is just give you this 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 picture of their face and if you look at them you would never know that they were you know part of the homeless community but sharing their story their individual stories so that you get hooked in on this beautiful portrait but then taking a taking a glance at their story to give you that opportunity to create that empathy and encourage you not only to want to give back but give back to that individual and having a better idea of where your dollars were going to so anytime you can use these personal storytelling opportunities and any times that you can create that empathy um, in a campaign makes all the difference in the world very cool very cool great tips great ideas uh, focus on creativity clearly uh, it came up so many times uh, from from both your stories. Content, creativity, don't sweat the small stuff, don't be too detailed, but have that great content that people can dig into, helpful content, videos, things like that, great information. Um, well, we appreciate you both being on the podcast with us. Thank you for sharing all your ideas and experience and, and tips, especially on the peer-to-peer the -peer and fundraising side. Um, tell us maybe uh, how our listeners can find you. Uh, if, if there's an organization out there that's thinking about dipping their toes into the waters of peer-to-peer -peer or fundraising in general, how, how do they get a hold of you? You can uh, find us on CGC 
G-I-V-I-N-G.com. So cgcgiving.com. Um, and you can also email me at chris at cgcgiving.com. Um, we do offer you know free 30-minute marketing and fundraising consultations. So we're always open to doing those. Um, you know, big thing for us is if we can if we can brainstorm ideas with you and give you any great idea within 30 minutes, we think it's worthwhile. So we want to make sure that we can help out even the organizations that don't have the largest budget, but really just need somebody to talk things through with. CGCgiving.com will also put a note or a link, I should say, to the website on the podcast page. So for those listening, you could just link over no matter what platform you're on. You can link over to the Salsa website or to this podcast page and see Brittany and Chris's bio, uh, their pictures. You'll see their smiling faces and be able to link over to their site as well. And uh, great. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thanks for the great tips. And uh, hopefully we get a, a chance to speak with you both again soon. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. This was fun. Happy to be here. Love salsa. And I love eating salsa as well. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, okay. So the most important question of all, uh, Brittany, what is your favorite flavor of salsa? So I'm a, I'm a, an avid Trader Joe's shopper. So I actually just tried, uh, I think it was called like Island salsa or something. It was a mango, pineapple, jalapeno salsa. I tried it for the first time the other day. So that's my current favorite salsa. That sounds good. How about you, Chris? I mean, all day, every day, I'm, an, I'm a habanero salsa type of guy. So, you know, the hot stuff, the I, spicy. Like, I, I like it hot. I, I live, I live a spicy lifestyle. <laughs> and I guess, I guess that makes me sweet. Yeah. <laughs> sweet and spicy. <laughs> love it. Yeah. Love it. Awesome. <laughs> that was, is there anything else you guys want to touch on or anything else you want me to mention? No, no. You know what? I think, I think the biggest thing that I would, I would say, and maybe the, the two things that I would say is thing one. Templates, 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 right? Every day, I, I, anytime I have a chance to speak, if you want anybody to do something for you and you want them to do it well, use templates. If you can develop, if you can develop templates that somebody really just has to fill in the blank, A, they're going to be more likely to actually do it for you, and B, they're going to actually do it right. And then the second thing that I want to talk about real quick is... If all of you are willing to invest money in using a strong fundraising software, it is imperative that you have a team, whether that's your internal team or somebody outside of your team, that can help you maximize the usage of said software. And that is why we do what we do, is we want to make sure that if people are you know, doing a, a fundraising campaign and they're doing peer-to-peer, that we can provide them with the team that they need to be successful um, ensure that you guys are getting the most out of your resources. So I always say you can invest in software, you can invest in service because it's only going to help you expand the capabilities of your team. It's funny, you mentioned something before about uh, not having that timeline or trying to rush 
the peer-to-peer campaign. And ultimately what that does is, especially if you don't have the content, you don't have the templates, and Brittany, what you were talking about, the, the help and the education, if you don't invest in doing that, uh, oftentimes you'll see the campaign fail. And then the first thing they do is blame the software. The software was no good. It didn't help us recruit, that kind of thing. And I'm sure there are softwares out there that, that maybe are subpar, um, but I've seen that often too, when, when people launch those campaigns and there's really nothing behind them. But the ones that take time to understand the capabilities, or in some cases, the limits of the software and to work within those limits, or to use the capabilities, the extra templates, the training, uh, the giving people the ability to quickly create their own templates and then share those. And, and I think what you said about the support there and working with an organization, a company like Salsa, obviously we, we have that support that people can tap into. But even still, we've had lots of clients work with organizations like CGC, where they, they get that personal help, that one-on-one -on -one help, and they understand not only how to use the tool, but how to reach out to people and how to use best practices for those peer-to-peer -peer campaigns. I, I, I think it's really smart, and it's, it's what I have seen successful organizations use. So that wraps up another episode of our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about CGC, you can visit their website, cgcgiving.com. And as always, you can visit salsa at salsalabs.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of Tips with Salsa.